0: To another episode of Resilient Minds 365. I'm your host Cleone Crawford. Well, guys, we have a special guest here with us. You're really gonna, you're in for a special treat. So, who do we have with us? We have Gina Dobson with us. Gina Dobson. Who is she? Well, Gina Dobson is an actress, teacher, author, singer, an activist, and so much more. She was raised in the state of New York and is the youngest of three girls. Gina spent many of her years singing gospel music for various gospel choirs. Gina attended Johnson C. Smith University, a historical black college in Charlotte, North Carolina, obtaining a a bachelor's in communications arts. Soon after graduation, she realized that, that her passion was advocating for children, using her skills, taught through her academic training. She began graduate graduate school at the Roberts Wesleyan College and received a Master's of Arts in Education. Gina's leading of Jesus Christ led her to the completion of the Masters of Divinity from Northeastern Seminary in Rochester, New York, along with completed work towards said degree at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California. Her third degree was completed in 2018 with a Masters of Science in Educational Administration at National University in San Diego, California. As an English teacher, Gina has been educating children for 15 years. Gina is a member of the West Angeles Church of God in Christ in Los Angeles under the anointed and dynamic leadership of presiding Bishop of the Church of God in Christ, as well as Pastor Charles Edward Blake. After having interned in the young adults department at West West Angeles, Gina is now connecting economically with other youth and young adults pastors in Los Angeles. With that said, I now present to you Gina Dobson. Gina, how are you today? Thank you. I'm fine. I'm doing well. How are you? You know what? I'm doing super. I'm I'm feeling really good. It's a it's a good day. The weather outside is beautiful. Um I'm here in Canada and yeah, the weather is really beautiful. It's nice spring weather and you don't have to wear a winter jacket. So, uh, I'm very happy.
1: <laughs> that that's awesome. In fact, I um I have a connection to Canada. I was dating a gentleman that lived in Scarborough. So we had a commuter relationship. Yeah. Scarborough. No way. He lived on Denton Avenue. You know where that is? Denton Street or Denton. Okay. And um, I met him at Carabana. So I used to, so Rochester is, Rochester, New York, where I was born and raised, is only like three and a half hours south of Toronto. Right. and so I can certainly appreciate when it gets warm in my neck of the woods when I was in New York and where you are but I love
0: Toronto what a beautiful magical city yes definitely I I love the fact um it's just very multicultural like you yes. can get whatever dish meal dish and any 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 different type of cuisine you want you can get it it's a it's a really good it's a really great city I love it down here yes it's beautiful I love it love it (laughs) awesome so um Gina tell me tell us a little bit more about your profession what you're currently doing and um how you got started so my my
1: whole narrative is so like a component of My experiences personally, that kind of birthed out exponentially. um, I've always been like this, uh, as I mentioned, pre-broadcast, a gypsy. I've always tried to nomad my way through different spaces, trying to figure out who Gina is, how I can uh, reach my best potential. And a lot of times that played out artistically. So for me, what that meant was Well, first doing the linear work, making sure I went to college. My parents weren't having anything but me getting some kind of a degree. So that was our catch. But then once I got out, I started exploring like, what do I really wanna do creatively? So I started taking dance classes, which I took as a kid. I started taking more dance classes, singing classes. And ultimately 20 years later, that led to me booking film and television shows Um, I'm getting ready to put up music into the universe at the end of this year. I just completed a screenplay for the book that I wrote and, uh, yeah, that's pretty exciting. And I'm also an activist. I believe highly that Africans of the diaspora, meaning the global Africans you're in Canada, I'm in, in the United States and all of our, uh, Uh, compadres around the globe, we always need to center our conversations and amplify our voices around race, class, and privilege. And so last year, I was able to put together a symposium where I had two panels. There were legal scholars on the first panel, uh, and they kind of sort of broke down post-George Floyd and what that looked like going forward as Black people. And then the second panel talked about disparities of um, treatment for Black women, specifically Black women dying in the birthing room. And so we're going to have part two of that symposium in June, but we're going to deal with disparities in education for Black people. And so I'm kind of, it's a hodgepodge. To define me in, in one sentence would really not be uh, worthy of the moment that I'm meeting in, in the time that God has called me for such a time as this so
0: i'm doing quite a bit of work that's amazing i love it i love that you have your your hands all into all all different thoughts thank you really 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 exciting and um yeah definitely very exciting so with that said we are gonna now move into the mental health part of this interview sure. With that said, I'd like to know, what is your mental health diagnosis and when were you diagnosed? My mental health diagnoses are three,
1: which is clinical depression, generalized anxiety, and chronic fatigue. And I was diagnosed in 2011, though I intuitively know that I've been dealing with it my whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it sort of crescendoed. Um, as I started taking on more teaching, I'm I'm an educator. And when I started taking on more of the issues that our kids go through, it was harder for me to separate out what they were going through from understanding that I'm not the savior of the world. I can't take on their problems and still have a life of my own. Mm -hmm. And somehow having that imbalance sort of amplified um, the, the need for me to have someone to talk to and to talk about depression and that it's real and that it can be exacerbated by external stimuli, which includes taking on the problems of other people. So yeah, 2011 was the official diagnosis.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, okay, okay. So tell us your, your mental health story of resilience. What did you have to go through? What happened? Tell us more, just walk us through what happened with your, your story.
1: So in 2011, I started a job in teaching in 2010, um, a new job, I should say, I've been teaching forever, but this was a job in a very unique teaching situation in which I would be working in an independent charter school meaning that independent studies charter school, I would would say that it wasn't your conventional classroom setting, but rather I would meet kids by appointment and, we were the main office and the attendance office in that we were meeting in a center versus meeting in a traditional school. So we had to be the purveyors and the curators of the kids' records. So we were being audited as well as being um, oversight cited for the work that we were doing as teachers. So there were, there were two pieces of it. And um, the people that were directly an authority over me, which was my lead teacher, which in a traditional school would be called an assistant principal, and the regional supervisor that in a traditional school would be called a principal, were harassing me. And what they were doing was trying to be uh, dismissive of the work that I was doing, Uh, and not so much in terms of the good I was doing for kids, but dismissive in terms of even the paperwork that I was keeping up with with free of errors, you know, because we always had a, um, a percentage um, grade that we got when we were being audited by their company to make sure that our paperwork was in order for the kids, like making sure their vaccinations were up to date, making sure that their grades were entered properly, uh, making sure that any kind of work that they did uh, for the state uh, that merited auditing. That we had uploaded it, and we left our commentary, and that things were good. So I always received high marks on my um, my my paperwork that I did. You know, as you know, the custodial work as well as the work that I did as a practitioner. And I noticed all of a sudden, before I would go to school, I'd get these emails from my immediate supervisor saying, "We need to talk. We need to meet." Um, I have some concerns about the work that you're doing, even though I had received just months prior an excellent evaluation. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden she had an issue with my job performance. And so between she and her boss, who's just a flat out racist, um, met together and they conspired to get me fired. So I went ahead of the curve and I had my immediate supervisor in investigated because not only was she doing this to me, she was doing this to other other people that she felt were weak. Um, and so HR took me seriously. Human resources they investigated her. The unfortunate thing is because of toxic environment, people that were being harassed were afraid to come over, fearing retaliation. So it, out of like eleven people that were being harassed, it came down around eleven. It came down to me and one other person who had been harassed for years, but there wasn't anything they could do because the louder voices that were silent spoke. So nothing happened to her. But imagine being in a, in a position of authority, being free and cleared of all charges, and now you have the opportunity to retaliate against a, a, you know a, a superior, an inferior rather, or what you call a subordinate. And that's exactly what she did. Um, so she ha- escalated her harassment to the degree that they did get rid of me. Um, and how they did it was, yeah, how they did it was they said, oh, you're a good teacher, but you just can't um, keep up with the paperwork and we're concerned about it and this and that and whatnot. Um, so the bottom line was they were jealous because, and this is where it goes into the whole, uh, kind of microaggressions and micro invalidations that happens against black people, but in my case, specifically black women, is that when folk of dominant culture, and I said it, and I know I'm being recorded, but I'm just gonna keep this real, can't get a bootstrap story out of a black person, meaning, Lord, I had to pull myself up. I only had one dad and my mama wasn't around and, and she was a cracker. If they don't have those stories and it's like, well, what do we do with this competent black woman? Somehow we're uncomfortable because she is on our level. And that was the thing. She used to tell me things like my media supervisor, you dress too fancy. Mm-hmm. Now I understand that. <laughs> I understand if I was not dressing according to decorum, you know, and I was dressing like a slob, but I always wore suits and pearls and, I was corporate because it was a corporate structure, because it was a charter school run by a corporation. And so I knew then that she was jealous. I had more education than they did, which they knew. So mm-hmm. my resilience came when I unapologetically said, I'm not going to play small in order to fit in. And I always say this, and it's even said in my other podcast interviews I will not minimize myself to bring equity to you. It's not happening. Who I am is what I'm called to be because Jesus said so. And I'm going to fulfill the promises. And if you have a problem with that, then you need to check yourself. And it's just that, that fight in me through the chronic depression, through the um, anxiety, through uh, the fatigue, there lies a woman of faith who refuses to let anybody take her spirit away. I, I won't do it. And so I think for me, resilience is ultimately believing that I am called, I am beautifully and phenomenally made, and that I'm not going to let anybody make me feel less than what I'm called to be. And so a lot of that was about, you know, going back to church, Well, I never left church, but I mean, like really going like to prayer and Bible study, that's Mm -hmm. the spiritual part. For the psychological part, I just like enveloped around family and friends who just poured into me. And then for the body part, I started traveling and I started, you know, fasting. I started doing little mini veganism, uh, bouts where I just cleaned up my diet because everything to me is about mind, body, spirit. And then one, if one isn't aligned, everything's out of a line. And, you know, it wasn't easy. It took me about two and a half years to get through it just because it was trauma mm-hmm. um, and the way that they even let me go they didn't even let me day, stay during the course of the school day they made me leave in front of my students
0: oh my gosh. And
1: yeah so that that was that piece of trying to embarrass me but then I thought about the ancestors that we all have you know that 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 were saying yes master and and, and black men that were be called being called boy and still working and I thought this is what our ancestors had to do And this is what, well, heck, let's just go to Jesus Christ. He took a cross that he didn't deserve, but he still put his head down and he forgave. And so I had to draw into my, you know, God first and my ancestor second in order for me to get to the place of resilience. And I think the more that we practice resilience, the less impacted we are from other people's woes, the ways that they thrust their own issues and their failures onto us.
0: Okay. Wow. So you're basically your faith helped you a lot. Um, yes. to go through to become resilient despite the, the, the depression and the, the suicide ideation and, uh, and I mean the, the anxiety, sorry, not the ideation, the anxiety. Right. Exactly. Because, but, but, but to your
1: point that could have that could have led to, they're Christians that kill themselves. So you're not wrong for saying that, even though it was a slip up. I mean, suicide is real. Anybody is at any point can feel that way. Right. Mm -hmm. I think it's just about valuing yourself beyond the words that are thrust against you that try to tell you that you're not worthy. Um, and, and that's intentional work that that's about, uh, you know, looking in the mirror, putting post-it notes around. And I do that. I, like I, I legit, I don't know if you, you all have it in Canada. We have a store called the Dollar Tree. Yes. I, I love it. Right. It's great. And I go there and I get my post-it notes and I'm like, girl, you are everything. You may not know it. You may not have heard it, but you're everything. I just post stuff all around my house. I'm like, yeah, I am pretty dope. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. it's About just doing that. And, and I love how, they have little um, placards that you can hang up. So I have things all around, that say, dream, you know, begin small to think big. And, you know, all of those things that I do, and I'm, I'm the biggest fan of myself. I said, Jesus, I'm the biggest fan. I think I'm pretty dope. And that's not, a, you know, being arrogant, but I, I, I have to encourage myself because this is, okay. you know, ready to chew me and spit me. So we can, in the midst of our pain, in the midst, I'm a, I'm a depressed chick. I battle it daily, but I battle it with faith and I battle it with people that are riding with me.
0: Like, Bonnie,
1: God, you gotta ride with me.
0: Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So my next question to you is, so what did you have to do to overcome or bounce back from your low points? List all the resources. So we understand you talked about your post-its, you talked about your faith. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to add to that? Absolutely, um, I keep a therapist. Um, now they
1: do what's called telehealth because of COVID-19 and making sure people are socially distanced. Mm-hmm. So I, I have a counselor that I see uh, you know, every every week um, and that's been super helpful. Because I'm able to have someone objectively see me without being invested in feeling some kind of heartstring that they can't be honest. Like they don't know me from a can of paint, so they can keep it real with me. Right. And it's been super helpful. What I wanted, I'm like, I can't wait to let her know about this. I have been getting something called vitamin drinks. Hmm. Yes. I have a brain chemical imbalance that I self diagnose but I believe it to be true because I've, Research and I'm like, yeah, that's me. Um, where I don't have a proper proportionality of all of the brain chemicals that you need to be happy, like serotonin and endorphins and dopamines. So I take something called GABA that I get injected into. In fact, I may get one today. Um, and I also get um, vitamin B12 and, and uh, glutathione that kind of cleanses the liver. And I'll just hydrate and that goes straight through my bloodstream into my brain. And it just makes me smile. So I do a lot. And it's, 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 it's people may say, well, it's a lot of money, what, but yet they'll pay a thousand dollars for an iPhone.
0: That's true. That's true. Right.
1: Yeah. So it's like prioritize. Is your mental health less than an iPhone? So I spend honestly about minimally a hundred dollars a month in injections, which isn't a lot. Uh, mm-hmm of these brain, you know, chemical inducing, uh, measures that help to make sure that I'm balanced. Uh, because my work is very stressful as a teacher. Uh, so I have to make sure that I'm on point for my kids. So I do that as well. I, I, so again, it's spiritual. It's, 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 it's mental and it's physical. Mm -hmm. I exercise four times a week. Oh, that's good. Yes, and I get my big one in that hot that hot tub and I sit back and I relax. <laughs> and I just soak in all of the heat and just detoxify. And before COVID-19, I used to go to the steam room and just do that as well. So there there again, there has to be a concerted effort to to make ourselves be better. Because for me, Annaban and all, you know, all of those other, I don't knock them, but other uh, psycho or psychotic drugs that are used for mental health have their play in terms of what they do, but I don't think it's a totality of what people with depression need. Um, and there's so many side effects; they can change the brain chemistry so that someone, when they become 70, they can become demented early because of those same things that were brought into their system to help. So I would say try holistically now. If someone's bipolar. You may need to take some meds, but if you're not bipolar, try other things before you get on medication, but get the help. And I have to say this, I'm not trying to over answer the questions, but um, for our community, I have to keep going back because that's the work I do is race work for black folk. We don't believe in therapy. Lord, you just let the Holy Spirit do it. He'll do it. Well, yeah, the Holy Ghost is God. He has all power, but he puts people on earth that he works through. That's right. So we have to be balanced, right? Don't. You know, yes, you give God all your cares, but then there's, he He also let us know, it's not good for man to be alone. We still need people. And I know he was talking about marriage, but I think I could borrow from that and say, we need people. We can't do this by ourselves. This is not the gospel of isolation. We need inclusion, we need people. So make sure that you're with people that are gonna be in your amen corner, your cheerleading corner, but then also tell yeah. you your truth. That's the balance
0: that is so true. That is so true. You definitely want to have people you want to have people who are supportive that actually can actually, um, help you through the, your, your journey. Right. Yeah. Okay. And that you can be transparent with the, not be judged. Yeah. That's true. That's true. That's another story. Yeah. Right. All right. So my next question to you so what are the three things you wish you had available when you were at your lowest, when you were at your lowest point?
1: Oh, gosh. And and, and I remember that question when you sent it to me, because I thought about, well, what was my lowest point? Because I've had a lot of lowest points. I guess the lowest point today was when my dad died. Um, and even though I was saved, um, I was I was teaching, that was in the genesis of, of my teaching, the beginning of my teaching. And I didn't have a lot of support. I had support at work, but I, you know, when you're just starting the teaching profession, it's about get the scores, make sure your kids do well in state tests, or, you know, it's gonna reflect on you as a teacher. And because that was the beginning of my teaching, literally my administrator was like, I'm sorry, your dad died at but. we gotta get the scores, right? So it's this this performance-based, driven operative to make sure that my kids are doing good. And I had to literally hold on to my grieving and and tuck it away so that my kids could pass the state test, right? So I wish that I had more collegial support at my workplace. Um, I did have a lot of friend support, a lot of other support. But I would think the second thing that I wish I had Um, was that there was maybe a group, some kind of um, a community group that dealt with adults who lost parents because everything's about kids losing parents. And I know that's devastating. That's true. But where is there for adults? Some people think, well, your mother or your dad was only, or or, or was was 60, 70, 80. That doesn't mean that you're not going to like miss them. They're Mm -hmm. still your parent. You know, so I think there needs to be a special, um, you know, grieving group for adults that are, are thirty plus that that live this life for a while, but we're we're still kind of lopsided because we lost a pivotal person in our lives.
0: Right. Um,
1: yeah. Right. And then I think too, the last thing is um, that grieving, and I got it. I hate to keep making it about race, but whenever Black people grieve, it's it's almost like, oh, you're just you're overdoing it. You're doing the most. Come on. You know, it's like we're, we, somehow we're considered to be obscene when we grieve, but yet someone that's Snow White can grieve and cry and then here's a whole community around her. So we're expected to be super strong, especially black women. We're expected to hold and told a lie and not allow to be ourselves to be transparent. And so I think that I wish that there was more language around a specific type of grieving the Black mothers go through losing their sons at the hands of cops, so for me, what does that look like me losing my father when society thinks she probably doesn't even have an active father because she is black, right? And then when I have one, you know is it is he being critiqued? You right and so it's it's those things. so I just wish that those three things were available so that I would have been in a healthy place sooner than later.
0: Okay, cool. are really those are really good points very good points um so my next question is what words of hope would can you give to our listeners what would you tell them jesus is the
1: hope of glory i'm a christian jesus is he's more than enough i don't knock other religions i have friends that are atheist buddhist hindu i knock no though i don't agree i love them But at the end of the day, Jesus is the hope of glory. Does that mean that we have a, uh, you know, a Cinderella life or, you know, some kind of a life where we don't, we're free of pain? No, but what it means is we have someone that can walk with us through the journey. So I would preach Christ crucified. The second thing I would say is get therapy, get therapy. And for me, I have a black therapist because I don't have to explain who I am as a black woman to a black woman who understands what it's like to walk as a black woman. Um, mm. that's, I, I had another therapist, I had to fire her because even in that, you know, she called herself woke, <laughs> but some of her contradictions and how she tried to ask questions to me that were pretty uh, stereotypical of, of who she thought I was was not good enough for me to move mm-hmm. forward to my next level. Um, And lastly, the hope that I would say is, it's better to fail forward than to fail down. Let me say that again. It's better to fail forward than to fail down. Because if you fail forward, you can push yourself up. If you fail down, you need to reach up and pray someone can help you. So, and we need human hands to help us and not everybody's running to us, especially now these times, people are going through their own journey. So Mm -hmm. be intentional about when you fall, it's how you fall and how you get back up again. So those three things I think will work.
0: Those are good points. I like that, the, the, the fall forward for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So with that said, so now what we're going to do is we're going to switch the interview just a little bit. Okay. Um, um, as you can see behind me, there's a book. It's called The Music of My Life. That's my book where I talk about music therapy and my, and my journey with bipolar disorder. Oh. So with that said, I'd like to know, what type of music do you like? I'm going to go back to the gospel music. I love gospel music.
1: Ooh. Yeah. You know, especially when you can just go back and forth and just lean. You know what I mean? <laughs> and even if you can't explain them, you can feel it yes i just that that music it's and it seems like when the holy spirit hits my vocal cords i can i just go off uh and i don't even know what i'm singing or how i'm singing i just go into worship uh and then there are times i can't pretend that i don't uh turn up with snoop at the at the super bowl show there are times that i do my little walking <laughs> by the way i'm not i'm against gang membership <laughs> let me say this as a teacher but you know uh i, I love music is therapy for the soul it's as yeah. i said at the top of um, the interview music is a universal language that's right yeah, no, you don't have to even know how to speak, but music is what makes people evolve into their best self. So I love music.
0: I love singing. Amazing, amazing. So my question, my next question, a follow-up question is, if you were to think of a song that best describes your journey, what would it be and why? Um,
1: I got to think about secular music or gospel music um I think for the gospel side it would be I won't complain
0: oh that's a good one
1: yeah I won't complain I I've had
0: some won't good complain yes sing sis <laughs> <laughs> Yes,
1: <laughs> and then I'm trying to think for the secular side. Um, it um, I have nothing if I don't have you by Whitney Houston. Except mine would be Jesus. So I would I would take the secular but make a gospel. Okay. I have nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing if I don't have you.
0: All right. Yes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Whitney is definitely the queen. She is definitely, she was, she was, um she's amazing, amazing, amazing singer, amazing singer. Yes. yes.
1: A lyric, just a lyrical
0: beast. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. So how can we stay in touch with you? How, what are your social media handles? So for
1: my social media handles, you can go to, and I want to plug my books. It would not be worthy as well you know it's worthy to be here to meet you but to also wouldn't be worthy to the interview if i didn't kind of culminate what all this means in my book which is stop scapegoat no more that's the name of the book about being a a scapegoat being Mm -hmm. exhibited for the failures of someone else and you're being blamed um so at stop scapegoat no more you can find that on the facebook platform uh if you want to meet me personally it's at Gina has overcome and is restored. Okay.
0: <laughs> and is and, and what about Instagram? Are you on Instagram? Instagram is, is at Gina has
1: overcome and is restored.
0: Okay, wonderful. Wonderful. Yes. Perfect. Yes. Perfect. And congratulations on your book. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so very yeah. much. Yeah, I actually have three books. Um, so oh. yeah, I, I I co-authored two books and I'm and I wrote one book, which is the music of my life. Oh my word! How, yeah. how was the process for you? It was. It, it took a year, and it was. It was good. It was a really. It was very cathartic and very healing. Right. Because you know, I was able to pour out myself into the book and i thought it was a really great process so yeah
1: wow and not to try to interview the interviewer but is that how your podcast birth was that out of the pain and out
0: of the book um the podcast birthed after the came after the book that's what i was wondering so the birth the birth of the book birthed the
1: podcast
0: yes yes
1: wow that's interesting
0: yeah definitely and I, I i'm so i'm so blessed by the stories that i hear so i probably will be writing some more books um like co-author co-authored books in the future what? with my with the guests that have uh, appeared on my show so awesome. um, yeah so stay tuned to that in the future but um for now okay um, but yeah But yeah, but honestly, Gina, this has been a really, really great interview. I really enjoyed it. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. So with that said, and to all you resilient minds out there until next time, please subscribe to us on all our platforms and don't forget to rate the show and leave a review for us on Apple podcasts. Also be sure to grab a copy of my book, the music of my life on all Amazon marketplaces to get to know me better. If you can think of one person that will receive value from today's show or connect with Gina's testimonial, please share it with them. Feel free to take a screenshot of this week's episode or the podcast and tag us on Instagram. You can tag myself at Only Cleone or resilientmind three sixty five, and today's guest um, Gina at I forgot what it was. Gina has overcome at Gina has overcome and is restored. Perfect. And remember, mental health is not a death sentence. Despite your illness, you can strive, thrive, and live a life of abundance. Until next time, I'm Cleone Crawford, and I'm signing off. Bye. Thank you. (laughs)